This week, we're talking about going beyond the obvious shot with Thomas Heaton, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. This is Nick Page. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I'm excited because this week we're talking with somebody who I've always been a really big fan of, Thomas Heaton. Thomas is best known from YouTube. He does a lot of in the field vlogs and behind the scenes videos of his different landscape photography trips. He teaches workshops around the world. He's a really great guy. I got to hang out with him in the out of Acadia workshop last year, and I'll be working with him again this year in the out of Moab conference. Before we jump in this week, I do want to ask you guys to leave a review on whatever podcatcher you listen to the show on. If you have not done so already reviews, help the show get out to new listeners and if you guys can leave a review that helps us out greatly also a lot of the questions that we're going to be asking thomas came in on the facebook group you can find that facebook group by going over to facebook and doing the search for landscape photography podcast listeners and you can find the group over there okay with that let's jump into the conversation that i had with thomas heaton about going beyond the obvious shot So going beyond the obvious shot is kind of one of those really important parts of everybody's photography that you kind of have to get to at some point. And Thomas, who better to talk to than you about this subject? So thanks for coming on. Uh, it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Nick. Pleasure to be here. I haven't seen you. When, when did we? When did I last see you? That would have been uh, in, in uh, Acadia, Acadia National Park last mm. year. It's good to talk to you again, Thomas. What have you been up to? I'm, I suspect you've been doing a fair bit of landscape photography and traveling. Uh, yes, I have. Um, yeah, just the, the usual, you know, trying to, trying to feed the machine, feed the beast. Um, and that involves lots of travel and photography, which is great. And it's it's funny how you should mention uh, shooting the sort of lesser obvious compositions theme for this podcast, because I'm kind of in a situation now where that's what I'm forced to do. <laughs> I was in um, Svalbard not too long ago, uh, which is up in the high Arctic. I think it's the most northern landmass possibly before the North Pole, something like that. Um, and I was hoping to get on some snowmobiles and photograph some beautiful glaciers and, and fantastic wintry landscapes. But unfortunately, thanks to uh, climate change, <laughs> the, the entire Spal island of Svalbard melted three weeks early. So we were stranded and it rained and it snowed and the weather was miserable and there was zero visibility. And it was just honestly the worst place to be on <laughs> you know we were trapped <laughs> because Svalbard has no roads so you can only get around by boat or snowmobile we didn't have a boat the snowmobile can't go because everything's melted so we're kind of in this weird situation where we can either dwell on it and do nothing or we can try and make something of it and when you're in that position you are tend to tend to be forced into thinking outside mm -hmm. of the box and shooting those less obvious compositions um yeah, so it's, it's definitely a great thing to practice. That is wild. Yeah, so you've been traveling a lot. Where else have you been this year? Uh, this year, okay. So I just got back from Iceland. Um, just just about recovered from Iceland. That 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 knocked me out. When I got home from Iceland, mm -hmm. I spent two days in bed. I'm not kidding. Um, because it was a camping. Yeah, workshop. when you're there, dude. 
Yeah, I was going to say that when you're there during the summer months and you're shooting the midnight sun and you're up all night shooting, it messes with your schedule so hard that you come home and you don't know what time it is. Yeah. You don't yeah. know what day it is. Yeah, there's no tough. Uh, no routine. We were camping and going from, you know, camping was fantastic because we effectively just chased the weather. You know, we're always on the move. We very rarely stayed in one place for more than one night. Or, But it wasn't night. It was daytime. Oh, it was just awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, no, it wasn't awful. It was amazing, but killed me. Really did. And again, going back to shooting sort of less obvious compositions, because I've been to Iceland so many times, I don't just want to rinse and repeat the same images because not only would my content become very boring and people would just see the same images time and time again, um, yeah, it's it's not good for me. I don't want to go there and shoot the same waterfall from the same spot that I shot it last year, unless you know something phenomenal happens with the weather. But being in a situation like that where you know you already have a great image of from this location, right? Let's get something different. Uh, again, mm-hmm. that's that's a great situation to be in because it forces you to think differently. And I think with social media, uh, you have to do that now because you know if you go to Yosemite and take a photograph from tunnel view. No, nobody cares. <laughs> no, nobody. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it a million times. So unless, you know, unless something crazy happens, like a bear climbs a tree and then jumps off and you capture the bear in midair whilst it's snowing in a lightning storm, it's not, no one cares. You have to find unique angles on familiar locations. And that is a challenge. Yeah. And I think that's one of the main benefits to shooting, you know, in an area that you get to shoot really, really often is you kind of get those obvious shots out of the way and then you don't have to do them over and over and over. And then it kind of forces you into this situation where the only way you're going to be entertained and fulfilled is to try to do something different and try to think outside the box. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I always encourage people to get the shot, you know, the big obvious shot, because especially on a workshop, people want that, you know, they want to go home with uh, an image to show their friends and family this, you know, beautiful, well-known, iconic location. So I always encourage people to just get the shot, but don't spend ages. You know, you know how it is. Sometimes you spend all night taking the same photograph because you're waiting for the light or you just, it's so good that you can't bear to leave it. Um, And I always encourage people, have you got the shot? Yeah, yeah, right. Now just move on. And that image that you've just taken, I want you to get the complete opposite. (laughs) Um, It's great. And then it gives people uh, something to think about. I remember this one workshop participant, he was, um, again, he was just saying how everything, this was, was in Patagonia, and he was saying how everything was just too, like, iconic and too obvious and i said okay well the just set you a very simple challenge and i want you to take a photograph at this iconic location but it has to be taken in such a way that nobody knows where it's taken so mm-hmm. if you're in patagonia and you photograph the famous cuernos which are those big horns spiky mountains you know you'll know them um they're iconic with patagonia um you know if you take an image there people see it they know where you are so i challenge this guy to just shoot something that couldn't be identifiable at that location and it it works it just gets your juices flowing a bit gets you thinking and that's the thing is as far as like what feels good on the inside you know what is fulfilling as a creative person 
taking the same photo that everybody else has already taken is not fulfilling. Like in the very beginning, it feels good to be able to do what everybody else is doing and like, Hey, I'm a photographer too. But there comes a point when you don't want to be just another guy taking the same photo, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, there's so much of that that goes on because there are so many of those locations that are just kind of teed up for you. Nothing feels better as a creative person than getting an original shot somewhere and and feeling like maybe you have the only shot of that composition from that particular place that feels really good on the inside it feels amazing but it's so hard to do that's the that's the yeah. thing see when you first start photography landscape photography you go out to these iconic locations and when everything technically clicks so you get your focus your exposure everything's correct and you photograph that beautiful iconic scene from that viewpoint feels amazing you know it's a lot of fun to do but that soon wears off the more experience yeah. you get and the more you know the deeper you delve into landscape photography the the harder it is to satisfy your own creative needs um so then yeah you start to look for images that are different that haven't been done before that haven't been seen before um, and then that's when it gets frustrating because <laughs> it's very difficult mm-hmm. to do, very difficult to be able to create an image that, you know, is, is a showstopper and people look at it and go, where's that? <laughs> and that is yeah, the, sort of yeah, the holy exactly. grail. You know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do, but it's not impossible. You just need good conditions, a good eye, and you need to make sure that you're enthusiastic and get out there and look for these things. So when Thomas Heaton goes to Patagonia for the first time, are you shooting those big obvious shots as well and then moving on from it? Or are you taking your oh, own yeah. advice? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. It's like I said before, I always encourage people to get the shot. You know, it's it's so hard not to, you know, it's like, wow, this is beautiful. I'm gonna have to photograph this. But yeah, it's very much a case of get the shot in the can and then move on, or at least know where that shot is, so that if you don't find anything else and the light, you know, pops off. And you can run back and pretty much get the shot. And the thing, the thing I find is that these images, these iconic images, they're so easy to tee up. You can just have your camera framed up, ready to go in probably less than a minute. So I often spend a lot of my time scouting, knowing very well that if I don't find anything, I'm just going to run back and get that iconic shot uh, because I want it. You know, of course I want it. Um, but what I find is uh, I, I use my phone a lot for the iconic shots. So um, I think they they are great to show people where you are, friends and family, and stick on Instagram and say, hey, look where I am, this is cool. Um, but in terms of my DSLR and my professional photography, I know that if I capture an iconic image, it's not going to be really of any use, especially because if, if I, uh, it's really annoying this and it happens all the time. If I take a photograph at an iconic location and then I'm really proud of it, so i pop it on Twitter or Instagram or something. I get a hundred replies with people saying, oh yeah, <laughs> I was there last year and their image is so much better than mine. It's like, no. <laughs> uh, yep. So there is that as well. Uh, and uh, I suppose the, the result of going to these iconic locations and looking for the less iconic, less obvious shot is you actually come away with far fewer images. And that is something to be mindful of as well. Um, but yeah. again, a- any landscape photographer will know this, that with experience, you shoot less, you become your own worst critic. Um, and it's just part and parcel of the, 
of the job. And the result is that when you do capture something, it means a lot more to you. Because you worked harder for it. And the harder you work for a shot, the, the more sentimental you are about it. You've been doing this for a long time, and I'm just now kind of getting into this genre of photography. But I really, really love just going into a forest and trying to make sense of the chaos and trying to come away with an image because when you can go into a rainforest or any forest and come away with a decent composition you've done something because it is very difficult one of the cool aspects of that is that it's very unlikely that anybody else has ever shot that particular shot because it's just a random forest you know and people are more drawn to those big open iconic locations than they are just you know a forest trail somewhere i find that with my own work i'm more attached to those shots that i've worked for in a forest than i am you know the big iconic shot yeah of course and it gives your portfolio longevity i think people i think there are lots of trends and fashions within photography and i remember maybe like six or seven years ago I first saw an image from, uh, oh, what's that lake in Canada? Moraine, Lake Moraine or Moraine Lake? Oh, yeah. The iconic Canadian blue water, jagged peaks on the left-hand side. And I saw an image from that and I was like, wow, that looks like pure wilderness. I would love to go there. And now it's not. It's There's a big car park and 100 tourists taking the same image. And, um, and I, I think that if you have that image which was probably incredibly powerful in your portfolio six or seven years ago, now it's actually it's probably damaging to your portfolio because people have just seen it so many times. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was the question, <laughs> yeah, Nick? <laughs> well, I think you answered it. Yeah, having those super original shots in your portfolio. Oh, yeah. yeah, we were talking about more, trends in photography. Um, and it's more so, valuable, not only to you as a creative person where, you know, it just feels more creatively fulfilling to have that shot that you're pretty confident nobody else has rather than just have that same scene that everybody with a cell phone has shot. You know, every tourist that's ever went through Banff, Canada has that shot most likely. And it's more valuable to have something original in your portfolio. Yeah. And once you, once you start to get into this way of thinking and this way of seeing and the landscape opens up to you, you know, you can start to find compositions where you never thought there were compositions to be had. And uh, it's a really great creative process. I took a photograph of some leaves frozen in ice in a, in a tarn up in a mountain. And it was one of my favorite images that I've taken. And what I love about it is not only is it a beautiful image and it works so well compositionally and, and everything, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. There's no way that that no way that a photographer can see that and know where it is. And even if by some miracle they knew where it was, there's no way that they could go and photograph it because the ice will have melted and it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. So those yeah. are the images that I really love. One of the things that I absolutely love doing is photographing big waves during big surf and stuff. The reason I love seascapes and wave photography so much is because it's never the same twice. Because you know you're photographing something that is a fleeting moment. And nobody else is going to really capture that exact moment. No, In most cases, true, yeah. they're not going to capture it. Yeah, For that I, reason, I it just feels more special. Anything that's changeable and malleable is a fantastic subject to shoot. And again, Absolutely. with shooting waves, you know, there is so you have so much creative license with waves. You can do intentional camera movement. You can do long exposures, medium exposures, short, quick exposures. Uh, there's a lot you can do with waves. So that really, again, that opens up the uh, creative or the creative side of photography. 
your shutter speed suddenly has this dramatic impact on energy and mood. Um, you have a lot more creative power over the shot just with technical stuff as well. Yeah, and you never know what you're going to get. I was photographing waves a few days ago. They're just very small waves just lapping in over a rock in the foreground. And uh, occasionally a, a bigger wave would come, crash over the rock, all the water would recede out. And just, you know, I'd maybe take 20 photographs and just one of them, the water would recede in a way that was a lovely sweeping curve into the image. And that's the perfect one. And I love the uncertainty of it. You know, I took 19 rubbish photographs and uh, got one good one. So it's fantastic. Yeah. And it should be mentioned that like when you are striving really hard to do those maybe less obvious, maybe more abstract type photos that not everybody is taking, your failure rate is much higher <laughs> because there's a reason it, it not everybody does it is because it's hard. Um, yeah, it's but not, that's also it's, part of the fun. It's not so much the failure of executing the photograph is the failure of seeing it in the first place um yeah. so i'm one of those photographers who won't i won't get my camera out unless i see something that i think is worth shooting which is probably not always the best thing because you know maybe maybe if i got my camera out and tried more things would open up for me i don't know but um yeah it can be frustrating when you're just looking for something to shoot and you're not seeing anything um that's the difficulty um but then once you do see something the chances are that it's if it's caught your interest and it's you know it looks good enough for you to get your camera out of the bag and really work the scene then the chances are it's going to be a good image uh, but that again that comes with experience so on our Facebook group, we have a Facebook group for the Landscape Photography Podcast. Just do a search for Landscape Photography Podcast on Facebook. And we had a whole bunch of questions come in. One of them was, how does he stay motivated and not burn out? Interesting time to ask I you don't. that because you're <laughs> traveling. I'm so tired. <laughs> no. No. Carry, on. No, ca right, carry on with the question. I will answer it sensibly. Right. And the second part of the question is, are you still shooting film? So Right. Yeah. Uh... Man, did this guy not watch my Q&A video that I did a few weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first one, burnout. Um, yeah, my burnout comes in waves. I just lose, especially in summertime, I lose motivation uh, because, you know, the sun rises at 4 a.m., sunsets like half 10 at night. So there's no time for sleep. Uh, everything becomes green and overgrown. So it's not always the best to photograph. Um, for me, it's trying to find things that are new and different. So I'm suddenly out of nowhere excited about post-processing because I shot an image a few days ago and processed it more than I usually would and got carried away. And I thought, <laughs> hey, maybe there's more to explore here. So now, like overnight, I'm like thinking about getting a a tablet and a stylus and I'm thinking about downloading Nick Page's photography <laughs> tutorial post-processing package, whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden now I'm like, I'm raring to go out and shoot. Um, or, you know, I might buy a, a new tent because mine's knackered after flying a drone through it. And I, I really, <laughs> when I get that new tent, I'm going to be like so excited to go out and use the tent and go camping and take photography. Uh, I have a camper van. And so that gives me the freedom to go out and uh, and stay on location and explore new places much more than if I didn't have it. It's it's about not plateauing. So reading books helps. Discovering new things that you can learn helps. Um, even little, little things, well, I say little things, buying new gear, that's a big thing, I know. But if, uh, if you get yourself a new pair of walking boots, you'll definitely want to put those on and go for a walk. Yeah, it's it's about just getting inspired and and refreshing lots of elements in your life so that everything every day can feel new 
That's mm-hmm. what I try and do. Yeah. I hope that made and sense. We, I, felt, I felt like I was rambling yeah. on a bit there. No, no, absolutely. You're <laughs> preaching to the choir here. I just, I just got a new camera. I know exactly what you're talking about. Just yeah. anything, anything that kind of breaks up the monotony that might be happening because a lot of times burnout is nothing more than just feeling like you're doing the same thing over and over and over. Yeah, it's the, it's the loss of creative flair or the feeling yeah. of the loss of creativity. For me, it's not a physical thing. It, you know, it's just losing that creativity. I would, for example, one of the best things perhaps a photographer could do if they're feeling uh, like they're not inspired, not creative, uh, try and look into printing, buy a cheap printer. And because then all of a sudden you'll, you maybe you'll have more purpose. Your images will have more purpose. So that's little things like that. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you have something to do with all of those photos you've been taking over the last several years. Like, you know, uh, one of the feelings that I have a lot of times is that I have all of these photos. Now, what am I going to do with them? And yeah, it can, it can it, feel a bit, mm, yeah, a bit empty. Yeah, so it's good. Exactly. I mean, I have, um, I have a calendar that I sell every year. Um, and that for me, I need that calendar. <laughs> I need that in my life because it's it's an end goal. You know, it's an end game for the year. I need twelve images to put in that calendar that I deem worthy enough for print in the calendar. Um, and not only is it a great way for people to support my my channel, um, but it it gives me something to work towards. So yeah, physical print or having you know maybe a, a portfolio book at the end of your year. Maybe if you have a birthday, every birthday you could print a new book of the images from the last twelve months. These little projects will keep you motivated. Mm-hmm. So what about film? Are you still shooting film? Right. So here's the thing with film. Um, with the best intentions, <laughs> yes, um, I have a fridge full of film stock. I have my camera and everything. The thing with film, especially my my camera, my 4x5 large format camera, is it sounds like I'm making excuses. I'm not. <laughs> you need perfect conditions and time. So um, you need there to be no wind. You can't just can't shoot it in wind. It doesn't work because it gets blown around. And, you know, with large format film exposures, quite often are in, within seconds, not milliseconds. Um, and you need good subjects uh, that, you know, yeah, you need, you need the right subject, you need the right conditions um, and enough time because I'm, you know, there's no denying it now. My photography very much revolves around my YouTube channel. Um, and sometimes I'm so busy that I'm knocking videos out, you know, a day before I'm due to have a video out. So I'll go out, <laughs> I'll shoot a video, I'll edit the image, then the next day the video goes live, which is never a good situation to be in. <laughs> um, but it happens. So you can't do that with film because the film needs to be processed and scanned and everything. Uh, so it's it's kind of like I keep making these excuses. So what I need to do is just make time for myself and the film camera. But yeah, it's, I'm still like looking at it with excitement. I just need a, like a week where... In fact, I'm going to Scotland in a few days. Maybe I'll take it with me, see if I'm inspired in Scotland. We'll see. You are keeping so incredibly busy. Are you still keeping up with the the two videos per week? <laughs> I don't know how. Um, <laughs> I don't know how yeah, either. That's every, crazy. Every time I think I'm, I'm going to miss, every time I think I'm going to miss one, somehow I don't. I don't know. I get an idea or something. So I've got a video coming out tomorrow, which is on a Wednesday. But then I have nothing lined up for Sunday, right? So that's it. But on Thursday, I drive north to Scotland for a few days. And I'm kind of hoping that I'll be able to film and um, edit some images whilst I'm in Scotland. And then hopefully I can get one uploaded 
by Sunday. The problem is in the northwest of Scotland, there is no Wi-Fi. <laughs> so I'll probably have to drive two hours to the nearest town um, and use the 4G on my phone. But, you know, we're so lucky doing what we do. And, you know, it is hard work to do two videos a week, but any job worth having is always going to be hard work. So I'll never Absolutely. complain. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that work so hard in their jobs and they don't have the luxury of having the awesome jobs that we have. So why not, you know, be respectful of the fact that we have great jobs by working really hard at it and pushing ourselves? Yeah, um, I, I see no reason why I shouldn't ever upload two videos a week. There are so many people that would give their right arm to be in the position that I'm in. Yeah. And, uh, and then there are people working full time jobs and still uploading weekly. You know, it's, there is never an excuse. Even if the weather's terrible, you know what? You just make a video about the terrible weather. So that's yeah. it. There's very, very rarely an excuse other than illness, you know, something like that, something that's out of your control. So there must be a delay here between uh, America and the I think there is. The, I think it sounds like there we have like a one second delay or something that's messing with us a little bit. So what I was going to say is uh, one of the, the common questions that came in, and I'm sure that you get all of the time, is related to the whole business part of things. What does the business plan for Thomas Heaton look like right now? I know when I saw you in Acadia, you were pretty fresh into going full time. So you're probably right about a, almost a year of being full time yeah, went, YouTube only. <laughs> what does no. the business plan look like for Thomas Heaton? I'm not really, I'm not really a business plan kind of guy. <laughs> I'm more of a <laughs> hundred post-it notes, scribbled loads of notes all around me. You know, I'm not very organized. Um, so business plan. Um, well, yeah, I've been doing like the whole full-time landscape photography and YouTube for just over a year. So it was actually last April that I dedicated all of my time to this and it, it's going well, but I don't see this going on forever. You know, it's not sustainable. I don't think I could be doing YouTube videos, you know, for the next 20 years. Um, so I, I do have, um, a bit of, well, I have a project I'm working on and if it's a success and it goes well, then that will be the big thing that draws me away. Well, I'll never leave YouTube, but that will be the big thing that is sustainable over, you know, you could retire on that. That's, that's what I'm thinking, but that is a project I'm working on that I cannot discuss in any way, shape or form. So please don't ask me, um, <laughs> okay. but you know, YouTube is, is great. Landscape photography is great and I will always practice both, but, uh, it's, I don't, I just don't think it's sustainable long-term. I want to say long-term, I mean like into my fifties. So I need a plan that goes further than the next five years. And I am currently working on that plan. It's interesting when you look at full-time landscape photographers, there's lots of full-time photographers that can do what they're doing well into their sixties and seventies because, you know, photographers are notorious for not having exit strategies. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but landscape photographers, the way the majority of them make their money are education most times, or you, the very rare Peter Licks that are selling lots of prints and doing really well with gallery shows. So with your landscape photography, are you making the majority of your money through like, you know, YouTube sponsors and, and um, uh, the money that comes in from that, or is it more workshops or are you selling stock and selling prints? I'm sure people are interested in that. Well, this is always an interesting question because um, I, don't see myself as a YouTuber. 
which uh, I see myself as a landscape photographer who uses YouTube to promote my landscape photography. And somebody made a comment on one of my videos once saying, this guy is not a landscape photographer. He is a YouTuber that uses landscape photography as for his content. And it's not true because landscape photography came first. Um, and I make more money through landscape photography than through YouTube. But there's this kind of whole crossover gray area where obviously I wouldn't have the success with my landscape photography if it wasn't for my YouTube channel, but then my YouTube channel wouldn't be there if it wasn't for my landscape photography. So which came first, mm -hmm. the chicken or the egg? Um, so my income is split over like six different streams of revenue. So I, I have YouTube uh, ad revenue, which as you probably know, is pitiful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's and just, getting it's more just pitiful honestly, as, as it goes yeah, on. What, yeah. what really annoys me is you can actually go on Social Blade and see how much these YouTube creators are earning. And if you look at my Social Blade, I've not done it for a while, but it sort of estimates between like, you know, $800 to $20,000 a month. And then everyone just assumes that you're earning $20,000 a month. And it's like, oh, come on, I wish. It's way more down <laughs> okay. by $800 a month. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. if it was just ad revenue, there's no way I could survive. Um, that's why I feel sorry for of these YouTubers who are just YouTube personalities. They don't really have, you know, a thing other than their daily vlogs. And now with the whole demonetization thing and YouTube's algorithms going way more family friendly and all that sort of stuff, they're really struggling. And whereas myself, I don't think I would, I could just cut all adverts out of my channel and it really wouldn't make a difference. Most of my revenue comes from print sales. Uh, workshops and calendar sales. Now they are all very much landscape photography. So you, I don't think you could argue that I'm a professional YouTuber and not a photographer. It's the other way around. A lot of times, at least like people like me, I'm not really selling a lot of prints and I wish that I was. And that would be so much more fulfilling to actually see my prints end up on walls <laughs> rather than end up on timelines and Instagram feeds. Yeah, it's nice. Sometimes people buy a print and then uh, a few weeks later, I'll get an email from them and I'll get really scared <laughs> thinking that the email is <laughs> going to show a damaged print or something. Uh, but no, it's the print on the wall in a nice frame. And oh man, that's nice. Um, yeah. And the thing is, I'm really lazy with not lazy. I just, ah, I've got so many images, not so many. I've got two or three images that I know will make beautiful prints, but I'm so choosy about the paper and the presentation and everything that I'm constantly procrastinating getting that done because I know it's such a long drawn out process of pick, you know testing three or four different papers different profiles re-editing the image printing it over and over again and then uh, even testing out what pens work well on which papers it's, uh, yeah, it takes a while so I will I would like to add more prints to my collection just um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just so busy, <laughs> which I'll yeah, not absolutely. complain about. I'm not complaining. So when you're selling prints, are you attributing most of your sales because of YouTube? Like, is it people that follow you on YouTube that are buying your prints or are they coming to you some other way? Oh, no, it's all people know me from YouTube. That's where that's where they find me. But here's the thing, right? So I don't think that makes me any less of or makes anyone any less of a photographer because I do photography on YouTube. That's what I do. So maybe 20 years ago, you would find a photographer in National Geographic or in a magazine, other magazines or a book, perhaps. And then you would buy their prints that way. Or even 10 years ago, you would find them on Google and visit their website. And all that's all YouTube is. It's just a way to showcase your photography but in an entertaining and engaging way, which is what I try and do. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's everything's everything <laughs> everything's from YouTube. It's definitely no denying that. But you know, if I just knocked out terrible images and was a bit of an arrogant know-it-all, I wouldn't have any kind of YouTube following. So 
Yeah. So it's uh, it's yeah. funny how the industry is com- it's completely flipped on its head and people don't know how to respond to it. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll probably be another 10 or 20 years before it becomes normal. One of the things that I love about doing like a, a vlog style, you know, YouTube video where it's showing the behind the scenes of, you know, how particular images were created. It's kind of like um, some people will tell a little story along with a particular photo. But in our case, you know, it's so much more fun and entertaining for other people to see like the exact moment that that photo was created and be able to see like where you're standing and how and where you had to go to get that shot. It's kind of like the story behind the photos that, that you take. Yeah, it makes it makes photography accessible because I used to look at images you know, years and years and years ago in books and online. And I think, well, I, how how did he get that? I could never do that. I could never be in that location. He must have trekked for days to get to that lake. Um, but when you do a video, you see everything and you see it live, real time. And sometimes I show the raw file in my, the video that I have coming out tomorrow. You see the raw file and then I edit it. And it just makes new photographers suddenly realize, oh, hang on, he, he didn't actually do anything there. <laughs> he just took the image. And that's what photography is. It's all about timing and the light and the subject. Um, and a lot of people actually don't know that. They think it's all about having the best camera and the best processing skills, the most exotic location. I mean, where I took my photograph um, that I photographed last week, I went there on a push bike. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not very exotic and then people will be like well, yes but what kind of push bike oh, <laughs> what, yeah. what brand of push bike was that do i need one the canon it's a canon, <laughs> it's, a canon. it's not a sony uh, nick, uh, nick yeah, it's not a sony bike <laughs> <laughs> dang it then I, then it's yeah. useless to me no, yeah so and i know how this goes sometimes where when you're a youtube person and you, you're putting your face out there so much you get recognized in really interesting places when you're out shooting at least i i have and oh. Oh, yeah. It has to be much, much more extreme with you because you have like a gazillion more followers than I do. Uh, what is yeah, the I have most, so many funny stories? <laughs> I was going to say, what is the most awkward place that somebody has recognized you? Oh, awkward. Well, awkward. I, the most awkward one was um, probably a couple of years ago now uh, before I was kind of before I ever expected to be recognized. And I was in a shop just a, a sportswear shop. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in a camera shop, I wasn't out with my camera. And some guy, some kid, well, guy, kid, young, young gentleman, kind of walked past me in the shop and looked at me as if he knew me. But I didn't know him. But I thought maybe I went to school with him or something, I don't know. And as he walked past me, so he's now gone past me, so he's behind me, he goes, hello, Thomas. And, <laughs> but he didn't engage me. He didn't engage me. He didn't say, oh, hey, it's you. You know, he's, hello, Thomas. And they carried on walking and I was stopped and I swear to God, I said, and because I, I was so taken aback and this sounds horrible, but it's not. It's, I, I, I kind of stopped and looked at him and I went, do I know you? Um, because I thought I might have gone to school with him and maybe used to work with him. And he went, no. <laughs> so, okay. And then uh, my mate who I was with, he gave me a real hard time because he said, do I know you? Do I know you? Do you know how arrogant that sounded? I was like, oh, yeah, it did. It sounded so horrible. It's not what I meant. It was a genuine question. It sounded aggressive, but it wasn't. It was just so now I'm I, I've, I've learned my lesson and um, I'm always. Yeah, I love it. It's it's great. I'm always very t- talkative and chatty um, and it's good fun, especially I was I was. This is the best story or well, not the best, but the most unusual, unexpected. Um, I was camping with my dad, right? We were on a campsite in Wales. 
and it's about midnight. It's pitch black and we have this small camping table outside of the tent and we have a couple of beers and we're sat there in complete darkness having a beer, having a chat like father and son would do on a camping trip. Um, And our table was about 20 feet away from a water tap. So where people go to fill up their water. And this guy comes over, is filling up his water. Nothing unusual. Me and my dad are sat there just having a chat. And the guy, he must have recognized my voice. <laughs> and he comes over to the table, complete pitch blackness, and says, uh, excuse me, are you, uh, are you Thomas Eaton? I was like, uh, yeah, I am. And I was a bit shocked, but my dad, oh my God, my dad was so proud. He's like this really old <laughs> kind of working class. He goes, oh, oh yes, this is my son. And he went into the, t- pulled out a spare chair got him a can of beer and made him sit down and we must have drank and talked for like yeah, an hour at least. It was, it was crazy. Um, I that couldn't is believe awesome. it. That yeah. is crazy. One of the things that I've noticed, and you're probably going to start running into it as well now that you have a recognizable vehicle, but because I've put my car in so many shots in, in so many of my videos and it's, it kind of stands out with the roof tent and all of that, I get people when I'm out in you know shooting locations just honking and waving at me because they recognize my car and uh, and you know they recognize me as well, but my car is just as recognizable as I am these days and it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, I kind of regret <laughs> making my van so <laughs> my number plate is F11 for crying out loud. <laughs> People are going to recognize that. Um, and I, I was so like, I did that because I wanted to be cool. And I was like, yeah, F11 Heaton. Um, but my I sleep in my van. So I'm, I'm ever so slightly concerned that somebody <laughs> might come up and knock on the window when I'm asleep. Uh, yeah. But no, I, yeah, I don't mind being recognized um people i've been honked at and waved i don't know if they were doing it because they were also in a camper van which people do or maybe they recognize me um maybe yeah, it's maybe you're just driving really poorly <laughs> yeah yeah possibly that too i mean I, i'll tell you another very quick story i was walking my dog on the beach and my dog stole another dog's ball right so i've chased my dog down the beach trying to get his ball back and i got the ball out of his mouth i was like oh for crying out loud ran over to the guy who was like 200 yards away to give him his ball back. And I gave it him back. And as I gave it back, he looked at me and did a double take. And he said, are you Thomas Heaton? I was like, oh, God, yes. <laughs> recognized again. So yeah, you get recognized in the most unexpected places. And it's, but, it's always, it's always great. You know, I, I can't deny it. It's, it is good. And it's just a sign that things are going well. And I'll never, I never want to be those, one of those people who, who are just horrible and you know feel like they're too good to be recognized now for me it's always very humbling what a great problem to have and not a problem that would have existed 10 years ago it's very interesting no definitely not okay so another question is uh where do you look for or where do you look to for inspiration do you follow a lot of other photographers or do you try not to follow a lot of other photographers? Who no, are- yeah, I try not to follow too many because I don't want to be over-influenced. So I, I do follow a few, but I think inspiration comes from the land. And for me, I will read a book um, about an adventurer or an explorer or, or something along those lines. So um, then I'm inspired to go out and explore. And then that's where the inspiration comes from. So I tend not to turn to photography books as much as I used to. Um, I still do. And I still love a good photography book, but it's more those kind of books, those photography books that are a single journey. So, you know, a 
a 20-day trek across Nepal or something, um, rather than a collection of images. But it, it is a mixture of, of both of those. Uh, but I would say the majority of my inspiration comes from reading about other people's achievements um, that aren't necessarily photographic achievements. Another question that's kind of related in a, in a way is, ironically, YouTube is social media as well, but how do you treat posting to social media such as Facebook or Instagram? Um, do you treat those like a portfolio where you're just constantly feeding them images or do you not worry about that? How do you treat social media? No, I treat social media like dirt. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I couldn't care less. <laughs> you know, some photographers who have a proper strategy. No, no way. I, the only thing I treat with great respect is YouTube. Facebook, I've given up. I just, uh, just don't like the platform. Twitter, I gave up for a long time. I actually deleted the app from my phone because Twitter's too easy for the haters to get direct access to you. So all of those naysayers and it's usually jealous people because I know that I'm fairly benign. I don't do anything controversial. I just take photographs. That's it, right? Nothing to offend anybody. But it's other photographers who see themselves as a better photographer than me, which they very well may be, um, but they're not having the success that I'm having. So they feel grievance towards me. Twitter is a way for them to get to me. And I just thought, you know, I, I can't even be bothered. So I just turned Twitter off for a while. And then Instagram. I don't even know what to do with Instagram. <laughs> I like the stories. Uh, stories are great. Um, it's a great way for me to take a quick 10-second snapshot of where I am, what I'm doing. And that's not always photography-related. You know, I might be just doing something completely different, like watching football. And I'll, like, I'll film myself watching the England game, for example. And it's, it's a fun way to connect with the audience and Instagram Live. But in terms of posting images to Instagram, I, I don't respect it as an image platform um, because... It's just a thumbnail view of an image and then you swipe and it's gone. Um, I would really like to think that people have more respect for images and would look at them over a longer period on a bigger screen or in a book or a print or something like that. Um, uh, so I know it's huge and I've got like 130 odd thousand followers on Instagram and I respect all of my followers. Don't get me wrong. I just I don't know why. I just don't respect Instagram. It sounds terrible, but I just I can't take it seriously. Yeah. Um, so I don't really post many images. Maybe once a month I'll post one, but a lot of my images, they don't work on Instagram. They're too subdued or they're a panoramic or something like that. So Instagram's great for telling stories and taking photographs of my camera in front of a location. Um, but in terms of sharing my images, I reserve that religiously for my own website, my calendar, and obviously the YouTube videos, but I don't consider that a share so much. You know, because it's up and it's gone. Um, so yeah, really, it's my portfolio website. Yeah, rubbish at social media. That's totally understandable because it's hard to it's hard to accept the fact that you you know flew across an ocean and you hiked into the snow and you know did all this crazy stuff, took this photo with this really expensive camera, and then it's going to be seen as you know two and a half inches wide by three <laughs> inch and a half tall. It's yeah, and it's a it, tough it, pill. It, what? What really annoys me, oh, what really annoys me is the images that do well on Instagram are so fake. Mm -hmm. God, I see this one image and it just pops up all the time and I just want to go, I just want to throw my phone out of the window. It's a picture of the Matterhorn taken at nighttime with the Northern Lights and you can see Hornley Ridge, which is a ridge going up Matterhorn, which would mean that you are facing, uh, I think you're facing an easterly direction and the Matterhorn is so far south that there is no, no, sorry, you're facing a westerly direction. There is no possible way that you can see the northern lights in Switzerland 
in a westerly direction. And then all of these comments and the, and the northern lights are perfectly mirroring the shape of the Matterhorn. And all of these comments are like, oh my God, this is so good. I, I, I aspire to be able to take these images. I'm just like, dude, what, are you, what you need to just take a reality check. You cannot see the northern lights in Switzerland. <laughs> right. And, that, and there's no disclaimer. There's no disclaimer. And there should be. Uh, well, there shouldn't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just have a mixed emotion. I'm sick of seeing girls' bums. You know, the only thing I want to see is my wife. And for God's sake, if I want to look at a camper van and I see some girl in a pair of knickers with a camper van out of focus in the background, that annoys me. And I see it's got a million likes. And, you know, these these images that are just so sickly. Oh, sorry. What were we talking about? And so, I do like Instagram, though. I do. I think Instagram, get rid of the thumbnail images and just do stories. But then that's Snapchat, isn't it? So, oh, I don't know. I don't so use funny. Snapchat. No, no idea. You know, so if this was a podcast where I used like little quotes to put at the beginning of the podcast, this would be the one. This uh, <laughs> I would take the, if I see another picture of girls in their knickers in front of a camper van and then you know today on the landscape photography podcast <laughs> that would be the best yeah, and they, they all do really well they got so many followers and, yep. and it's just bum pictures and it's anytime, so misogynistic and uh. right anytime you have a platform where kim kardashian has the most followers it probably shows the depth of the platform you know like they, you know that's yeah yeah yeah, that, enough said. <laughs> I guess that that's it. So, Thomas, what do you got coming up? Where can people go to find out what you're up to? Okay, so, um, well, there's my website, which is thomasheaton.co.uk. Um, and if you go to my website, you'll see a little pop-up for a newsletter. That's why I always encourage people to sign up, because that's where I'll announce things that aren't always appropriate to announce on YouTube and uh, various other social media platforms such as uh, workshops, live speaking events, and my uh, pre-orders for my calendar, uh, which I'll be doing a big push for in late August. Um, yeah, of course, you can go to YouTube and just type in uh, Thomas Heaton, and you'll see all of my work there. Not all of it is good, but, you know, it's all there. Yeah, lots, lots coming up. I've actually got a fairly quiet month this month in July, but then in August, I'm doing a workshop in Alps again in september then in october nick me and you are at the out yep. of chicago conference in moab, moab. Yeah, yeah that's gonna be I awesome i keep wanting to say mobe mobe <laughs> <Mob. laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna say where are, oh, there's a few other places in america that i just always want to call by the wrong name on purpose san jose i love calling that san jose <laughs> <laughs> nice awesome well it's always good talking to you thomas thanks for coming on thank you guys so much for listening we'll see you again next week Take it easy, yes. guys. Goodbye. Bye, Nick. Bye-bye.